Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I want to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. And I also want to thank you for partnering with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. There's always something new and exciting happening here at Ren, so please follow us on social media. You can find us by searching Renaissance Decatur. And you can also connect with us by visiting our website, rendecatur.org. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I am one of the leaders here. It's so great to see all of you. One of the things we love to do every week is, is study our Bible. So if you brought a Bible with you, I would ask you to turn your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, know this. Uh, we put hardback black Bibles underneath the seats close to you, and you're welcome to use one of those Bibles if you'd like. We will put words on the screen too, so you don't have to have a Bible open to follow along. You'll, it'll be easy for you. But I'll, I'll make this... Um, Edition, I've been neglecting to mention it the last few weeks, but those hardback black Bibles underneath the seat around you, they're yours to keep, okay? So I mean this, like, you're, if you don't own a Bible and would like one, then we are gifting it to you. What we're not doing is adding to your Bible collection that you have at home, right? Or maybe you have a Bible, but you can't find it. Here, Pastor Jeff would say to you, find your Bible, right? Go find your Bible. But if you don't have one, we want to give one to you. So anyways, um, I want to say this. Uh, Tuesday night, I was uh, at a, um, a local pizza joint um, celebrating what would have been the 16th birthday of a young man who died a few months ago. A good friend of... Um, I'm a mess. I've, I've admitted this to everyone. Um, I'm a mess today. I'm a mess this week. I don't, I don't know what's happening. Um, but I'm celebrating what would have been uh, Cole Evans' 16th birthday with uh, a lot of his classmates, one of which is my daughter who was there as well, with his mom and his dad and, and all of this. There was a moment they went to the gravesite and said some words. It was just this thing. It's this thing. And then yesterday I'm at a wedding celebrating like the nuptials of two young people who are in love. It's gross. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's gross, right? <laughs> so I'm doing that and I'm talking with another person like a couple of weeks before who's in a relationship with someone and the, and the relationship is strained and falling apart. I'm having a conversation with someone else the week before that about their, their, their faith in Christianity. They don't know how to make their way through all of this stuff. What is God asking them to do? I, I say all of these things to just say this. This world we live in is pretty broken. Wouldn't you agree? It's just broken. Our, our lives, as, as, and strive as we may and try as hard as we want, we, we are caught up in a world that is just off axis. And, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, gosh, Jeff, you should try some pills for that, right? <laughs> and my life seems to be fine. And maybe it is right now. But you can't help but look at your neighbors or maybe your coworkers or others and see all the heartache and hardships that they're going through. Like this world is just a funky place. Now I know this, that we as believers here, that, well, I'll, I'll say this, that we as people here, we're just trying to make our way through this world. We're just trying to make our way through life. Now, before I was a Christian, I can tell you, Jesus wasn't my compass, if you know what I mean. I had, I had many other things that I used to sort of define purpose and find direction in my life. 
And I'm telling you, I, I, I know some of the people here in this room are in similar situations. You're looking for purpose and, and plans and all this now, and it's not attached to Jesus. And I'll just say this, it, it, that only leads to even more crazy and brokenness in your life. I mean, I would like to say, if you just follow Jesus, everything gets better, but that would be a lie. It would be a lie. I mean, I wouldn't even be teaching scripture because if you, if you know scripture at all, I mean, at all, there's about 11 or 12 disciples that follow Jesus. Um, did their lives get better <laughs> following Jesus? All of them, with the exception of one Judas who hanged himself, all of them lost their lives for Jesus. It cost them something greatly. Now, hear me. It's not to say I, I, I don't think Jesus is the right compass to follow. All I'm saying is that we just live in a, a broken world with Jesus or without. It's a broken place. And yet the hope that we have in Christ is that he would protect us, direct us, save us, help us. We have guidance with him. And when your life like mine is just in shambles right now, like when it just seems to be falling apart and you want to throw in the, the, the towel, the proverbial towel and just go, screw it. Jesus is there to help. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, man, um, we, spoiler alert, we are not the only generation of people who've lived on this earth who have tried to find substance and meaning in this life. If we read the annals of history, we will see people who have gone before us who are desperate to find their way. And I think in the middle of all of that, God meets us. That God, in fact, comes to us. I'll even argue oftentimes using some of life's situations to sort of set up our reception of his coming. He just needs to hit rock bottom and then he'll finally realize. You've heard this before, right? They just need to get to that place where God can break in. Maybe. And I know that I've been in places like that. Maybe you have too, where God was able to break in. But I would argue God is desperate to break in before we hit the bottom. So, you know, visiting this church, pastor seems to be having a nervous breakdown. Don't know what's happening. <laughs> is, this, is this a normal Sunday is the question you're asking. I, I don't think so. This feels a little different. It does. It, to me, it does. And I think there's a reason for that. I don't try to oversell anything. I just know this, that God would, would love us enough to speak into life situations. All of us here in this room, I've already prayed this for the other services and I'm praying this for us here, that God would use whatever's going on in our lives and he would take uh, the scriptures that we'll study, the spirit of God who's inside of us and he would direct our paths. And, it, and, and if we're looking for uh, scriptures to just sort of rip out of the pages of the Bible and just sort of band-aid them to our own lives, we're, we're looking at the Bible incorrectly. Don't get me wrong, I think scripture's incredibly helpful. I would never even presume to walk this life without a copy of the scriptures, without studying the scriptures. Because here's why. The scriptures point to a person whose name is Jesus and Jesus is the Lord and Savior of our lives. And then Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit who indwells us and directs us. So without scripture, we'll never know who Jesus is. We'll never understand how to receive the Spirit, blah, 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 blah. I just want you to know, what I'm about to read today 
it's going to be very easy for some of us just to rip those scriptures out and try to apply them to our lives. And all that to say this, warning, 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 I wouldn't do that if I were you. <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I were you, specifically about this issue. And you're like, what is he going to preach about? Well, let's read it. Let's start here. Starting in uh, chapter 7, just a little backstory real quick. So, so last week, Paul the Apostle, who's writing this words of encouragement to Christians in a city called Corinth, he's writing to them, and they, they had this sort of mantra that they'd been living their life by, and this is the mantra, okay? This is what they were saying to Paul. And it's right here in verse one of chapter seven. It says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's what they're saying. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations or physical intimacy with a woman. And Paul just responds, okay, I agree with you. It is good, which means this. It's not holy or less holy or less righteous or whatever. But what's driving all of their questioning is this, pursuit of asceticism or this deny of anything fleshy, denial of anything um, enjoyable. So they're, they're trying to live their lives by denying themselves of everything that feels good in hopes that they become more holy and pure in the middle of it. And Paul just goes, oh, I love your zeal for being holy and pure. You're just going about it the wrong way. And so God comes into the middle of their brokenness and begins to instruct them and teach them. And last week was sort of the introduction. I don't have time to replay all that. So podcast, podcast, podcast. But this week he picks up it, uh, with that sort of same idea. Okay, so let's start here in verse seven, eight. I lied. Verse eight, Paul speaking to the Christians in Corinth. He says this, to the unmarried and the widows. I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, then they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. What? All right, we'll get to that in a minute. All right, verse 10. To the married, to another group of people, Paul would address in the church in Corinth. I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, he says, that the wife should not separate from her husband. Do you hear me? But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, in parentheses. Oh, and by the way, and the husband should never divorce his wife or should not divorce his wife. And to another group of people, verse 12, he says, to the rest, and this appears to be to married people who are maybe one person, of the, one spouse is a uh, believer and one spouse is not. This is be the unequally yoked thing that everyone talks about, but no one understands. This is what this is. <laughs> He says, I say this to you, to the rest. I, not the Lord, would say this, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, then he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, then she should not divorce him. Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, he said, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But, he says, if the unbelieving partner separates, then let it be so. And in such cases, the brother or sister is no longer enslaved or bound, he says. God has called you to peace, verse 16. For how do you know, he would ask, 
How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether or not you will save your wife? I mean, the the difficult situation in this passage, he's addressing divorce. He's addressing broken relationships. He's addressing all kinds of stuff. And and I just caution us, let's not be so dogmatic right out of the gate. Is that okay just to say, it's okay to like, just let the Lord talk to us in all of this? (laughs) Well, I'm going that direction. You can come with me if you'd like. (laughs) Because I think that's the best way. (laughs) So um, let us pray together and just ask God to be a part of our day. God, thank you for uh, your son, Jesus that he is in fact our Lord and Savior. It is through him we find our being, we find salvation, we find help in life's circumstances because you have given us your Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God who empowers us, equips us, instructs us, leads us, teaches us, and even comforts us in the midst of life's turmoil. God, would you be with us today and help us to make some sort of meaning from your words here. We lay our lives before you and we ask that you be a part of what we're doing here today. We come not to just be informed, but changed. And we're asking Holy Spirit that these words would seat themselves into our very beings and we would be helped by them. God, we thank you for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. He, he begins here in verse um, eight, uh, speaking to unmarried and widows. Now, I think this could be inferred. I'll just tell you all the things that I read this week, so this will be helpful to us. But the, the word that's translated unmarried, it possibly should be translated widowers. So it's quite possibly that, that Paul is saying to the widowers and the widows. He's saying to those people who have um, left marriage because of the death of a spouse, then I'm addressing you. The only problem with that sort of thinking is there is a Greek word for widower, and Paul didn't use it here. So we could infer that maybe he's just talking to people who have been made single by the death of a spouse, but it can't be conclusively known that way. It is possible Paul is also talking to people who who find themselves single because of what? Divorce. And maybe that's the, the direction he's going because he does spend some time talking about divorce here in the next few moments. But he's speaking to unmarried and widows, people who find themselves single. And he says this, again, that it is good for them to remain single, just as I am. Paul says, I too am single. We believe Paul was married at one point but lost his wife somehow. He goes, I have remained single as well. But he says, if they cannot exercise self-control, then they should marry. Now, know this, that the idea here is the word cannot is actually not included in the original manuscripts of this passage. So he's not saying that this person like physically cannot control their sexual desires or their sensual desires. What he's saying is they're already not controlling their desires. Do you see the distinction? So picture this. If a person is made single, whether by divorce or whether through a death of a spouse, He says, it's best that you just remain single. This is what God would want. But if you are already acting upon your desires, if you know what I mean, (laughs) then he says you should marry. Now know this, that's a command, not a suggestion. 
So if you're, if you're out there uh, dating people, right, and you have one for six months and then another for six months, or if you're just, okay, can I speak candidly? If you're out there just living like you're married, but you're not married, if that's okay to say that, he says, stop, get married. <laughs> now, last week, Paul talked about this thing, the, the gift of marriedness or the gift of being married and the gift of singleness. And he says, if you've been gifted with singleness, then pursue that. Now, how do you know if you've been gifted singleness? Well, I can tell you one litmus test would be this. You're not going out every weekend and hooking up with someone else. That's not the single life that God would want anyone to have. In fact, I would argue if you're doing that, God has destined you to be married. You just need to pick one. <laughs> I'm not kidding. But I mean, like, but Disney says it's supposed to be that Prince Charming, the one, the one. I'm like, whatever, <laughs> pick one. What if it's the wrong one? Well, ask God. And then if he says, this is the, pick him or her. Is this making sense? Because he goes, I would rather you do that. You should marry instead of burning with passion. Now, in the ESV translations, it, uh, translation, it has the words with passion, but it, that's not in the originals or in most of the original manuscripts. It's possible that Paul is also talking about this idea of burning in judgment, the eternal judgment. See, it'd be better for you to marry than to burn in judgment or in passions. Either way, both of these do not sound like a good way to go. Yes? <laughs> say yes, please say yes. Oh my goodness. So, so he would say, then, then marry and you can marry. And, and all of this is to say, and, and this is a quest unto purity as well. See, the Corinthians had this sort of broken idea that somehow um, sex is evil, sex is bad, and we're going to avoid it at all costs. Last week, he addressed that in the marriage room. He says, listen, you people do not deny each other your conjugal rights. This idea that somehow physical intimacy is uh, detestable to the Lord is wrong. May I remind you, who invented it? Uh -huh. All the teenagers are freaking out right now. <laughs> I had no idea this is what this is about. <laughs> if you've been gifted to singleness, you'll know. Your, your desire is not to be intimate with someone else. You'll know. Anyways, moving on. So I would rather you marry, and again, that's a command, not a suggestion, that you should marry, because it's better to marry than to burn, he would argue. Now to next group, not to the unmarrieds or the widows, but to the marrieds. And this would be the, the, the believers who are married. Two believers are married. He says, I give this charge to you. And he says, not I, but the Lord. Now what he's pointing to here or alluding to is that Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of our lives, has spoken on this issue already. Uh, Paul has heard it and many of them has heard it and heard it as well. So he reminds them, this is not just my teaching. This is Jesus himself, okay? So it's not I, but the Lord gives you this that the wife should not separate from her husband. And at the bottom of that, verse 11, it says, oh, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, why does Paul use two different verbs? Separate, wives don't separate, uh, husbands don't divorce. I don't know, honestly, I don't know. Know this though, it is pointing to the ultimate reality, which is divorce. That's what he's talking about here. See, we want to read it or we read it in our English language, in our Western thinking, and we think that when he says wives should not separate, we're actually talking about a separation for a season until old boy gets his stuff together, if you know what I'm talking about. 
But that's not what this is. He's talking about divorce. He's saying women don't divorce your husbands. Husbands don't divorce your wives. Now know this, in the Greco-Roman world of which Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, divorce was, um, it could be legally uh, put together with papers. You could go before the magistrates and have your divorce worked up in, in the courts. And, and most people with affluence and maybe some money would do that, right? I get this, she gets that, she gets this, I get that, all that. But most times, more often than not, when a person divorced someone else, they literally packed up their suitcases and walked out. And that's the issue that Paul's addressing, don't separate, don't divorce. And he, he argues that this is, in fact, Jesus' language. He, he talks about this already. In fact, if you want to follow with me to Matthew chapter 19, Jesus talks about divorce at length when some Pharisees or religious leaders came to him and asked him some questions about divorce. Look here in verse 3 of verse 19 in Matthew. Verse three of chapter 19 in Matthew, he says, and so the Pharisees come to Jesus and they tested him. It kind of points to motive here, but we don't have time for that. They tested him by asking, hey, rabbi, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Strange question. Can I give you the backstory on this? When Jesus was um, ministering to the people in the first century there in Palestine, there are already two rabbinic schools of thought leading the Jewish people. And of these two Jewish thoughts, right, these two rabbinic schools, one of them had the belief that it is in fact okay to divorce your wife only if she commits a sexual sin against you. The other said, eh, if she burns your dinner, you can divorce her. <laughs> Literally, you can divorce her for any cause. And so they're coming to Jesus to sort of settle the bet. Which one is it, oh rabbi? Which one is it? Can we divorce our wives just for immorality? Or can we do it if she burns the roast? And look at Jesus' response. He answered them, have you not read? He's pointing to the Old Testament. Have you not studied what God had said already? He answers them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them both male and female? This is Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And he says to them, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This sounds just like that wedding I attended last night. This was all in that sermon. It was beautiful. God is pulling these two people together to make them one. So therefore, he says, verse six, there's no longer two, but one flesh there. What therefore God has joined together, let man not what? Separate. That's the word that Paul is using to the Corinthians, that a wife should not separate from her husband. He says, this is God's plan for marriage, that it would last. But they argue, blah, 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 blah. But, 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 but Moses said we could give our wives a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Why did Moses allow that then? If this is what God intended, why did Moses allow? And, and Jesus sort of backhands them with this. He said this because of the hardness of your hearts, people. Because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Again, more backstory. Oftentimes these men would not divorce their wives and just leave them sort of hanging out there. They no longer protected them, no longer cared for them, no longer fed them, just left them out here. So Moses says, listen, fool, give her a certificate of divorce so she can move on from you. So she can find another man who will protect and serve and feed and raise her children since you won't. But 
This is only coming around because of the hardness of your heart. Know this. This is not God's plan. It was not his plan from the beginning. He says that. It was not, the be- it was not that way from the beginning, he says. It was not so. And then Jesus adds this thing in verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Okay, so just know this. It, it appears as if Jesus has sort of opened a doorway as a reason where a legitimate divorce would be allowed. Okay, so don't divorce. God doesn't want divorce, right? Work it out. But because of the hardness of your heart, the, uh, the husband and, and, and is allowed to give a divorce certificate, if you will. It's not so from the beginning. It's not what he desires at all. And then lastly, he says, oh, but if, if she commits uh, sexual sin against you, if she cheats on you, if she commits adultery against you, then you can divorce her. Oh, okay, cool. And all of us went like, like there should be a sigh of relief in that maybe. <laughs> but hear me. But Paul doesn't use that language. Paul doesn't. He is quoting Jesus and yet refuses to bring that idea into the conversation. So all of that to point to this. Remember I said it's just impossible for us to rip scriptures out and just apply it to our lives. Well, this is why it's happening because of this. I'm just saying let's not be dogmatic about all this and allow the spirit of God to lead us in this. Wait, it is way more complicated than you could possibly imagine. Whatever your situation is, whatever it is, it's not the situation in Corinth. Paul's addressing Corinthians. Jesus is responding to the Pharisees. Whatever your situation is, it's not this. Is this helpful to us? I think so. I think it helps us because it helps us see how God himself views marriage. I wrote three things. God intends marriage to last a lifetime. You can't see it any other way in scripture. It's what he desires for it. And he understands though, hear this, he understands that there are circumstances that would drive a person to divorce. He knows this. And he says oftentimes those circumstances are typically of a sexual and or immoral nature. (laughs) I'm just, I know this is difficult. This is incredibly challenging. Would you like to switch positions with me? <laughs> so many people are looking at me like, what's it mean, Jeff? What's it? I'm like, <laughs> I'll read it. How about that? I'll read it and we'll decide together. I think God has a purpose and a plan and it, it looks one way, but because of the broken world that we live in, things just get a little off sometimes, don't they? And in the middle of all of that, God is desiring us to still seek purity, still seek holiness and all of those things. And that is his, his motivation for us to follow him into all of the broken things of our lives. But to just rip a passage out and say something like this that I've heard in churches, praise God, not in this church, but if a person is divorced, they are somehow devalued among all other people. And if a person's been divorced, they're not allowed to serve in the church at any capacity. Jesus himself says that there are circumstances that sometimes will drive a person to divorce. Know this, at no point does Jesus condemn what's happening here. Remember the woman at the well who's had five different husbands and was currently living with another one? Now Jesus says, go and sin no more. That is God's desire for us. 
But how about the other woman that was caught in adultery that the religious leaders dragged before him? And he said, go, neither do I condemn you. <laughs> like, okay, see what I'm saying? I'm just saying sometimes we like to take this one thing and make it ultimate. I would not want to be a person to do that. Now, I will say this just by caveat. If anyone hear me, if anyone is going through a situation similar to what Paul is addressing here. If anyone's going through some stuff, hear me. Seek counsel before you move forward. Just seek godly counsel. Come and talk to me, talk to another Christian pastor, maybe a Christian counselor, and move slow in this process. That's all I would caution you towards. God sees marriage. Um, he has a high view of marriage. I think I do too. I, uh, I have the opportunity to marry young couples all the time and I, I, I tell them that marriage will be one of the most difficult things you'll ever do in your life. And I sort of put this little funny anecdote on it. It's like a tool in God's tool belt that he uses to shape you. And, and, it, and sometimes it feels like your, <laughs> your marriage is hammering you. But God is in it. Okay. Back to Corinthians. <laughs> if you're looking for answers, it's not today. I'm just saying, I'm reading. <laughs> uh, to another group of people, he says, and to the rest. Right? So we've got the singles, the unmarrieds, and the widowers, widows, and then we've got the Christian marrieds, and now we've got another group of people, which appears to be marrieds, but they're, uh, one spouse is a believer, one spouse is not a believer. And he says, to those people, I say this, and I love what he says here, this is me talking, not the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not, it doesn't carry any weight. He's just saying, I've never heard Jesus speak on this particular issue. So I'm going to give some wisdom, godly wisdom that he has, inspired by God to write it down for us to even read now. So he says, I'll tell you what I believe to be right. If any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and then she consents to live with him, then he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. And verse 14, just blows your mind. It says, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Oh my goodness. What does that mean? What does that mean? I gotta be honest with you. There, there is no other scripture in the entirety of the Bible that talks about that issue. There's nothing else in there. So I would caution us to grab one verse and make a doctrine out of it. But it seems to point to something that God intends for the believer's life to affect change in an unbeliever's life. Now, who wants to believe that's true? Oh, yes. Otherwise, Jesus is a big fat liar when he says to be salt and light in the earth. You know what salt does when you put it on your steak, anyone? It makes it better. That's the answer to the question. It, yes, it makes it better. Let me ask you this. Is it allowable to just salt your food before you taste it? Yes, the answer is yes, because salt makes it better. What kind of people come to this church? 
I think what Paul is really driving towards is there was some thought. Remember I opened kind of with this idea that the Corinthian believers had this belief that somehow physical intimacy was sort of, um, I won't say sinful, but they thought it was just, it was, would, would affect them in a negative way. So they decided to just live without it. And if their spouse wanted it, they would just divorce their spouse. I'll just be single out here doing whatever I do by myself. And, and there's this picture that somehow physical intimacy sort of um, infected you with something pagan and ungodly. But Paul rebukes that. He, he says here, he says, if, if you're married to an unbeliever and they'll stay with you, stay with them. Almost um, saying that the marriage bed is not defiled by the pagan or the unbelieving person. In fact, the opposite is in fact true. The believer begins to uh, become a positive influence on the other. I, I, I believe this with my whole heart. This is why I have a lot of friends who aren't Christians. Do you have friends who aren't Christians? Please say yes. If you don't have friends who aren't Christians, fire all your regular friends and go get new friends. I mean, it's okay to hang out with other Christians, isn't it? They're just not as fun as the other people. <laughs> it's true. Right? <laughs> is it true? <laughs> My point is, yeah, what's your point, Jeff? I have no idea what you're... I'm just saying... There's some, I almost said magic. Magic's the wrong word because magic is, make up, is made up. There's some spiritual component that God, through the presence of his spirit inside of a person, begins to affect change in someone else even when they don't understand what's happening. I have, I have I've been introduced to friends of a friend Right, we're out at a, a cocktail party, whatever that is, right? We're standing around talking and they're like, hey, this is my friend Jeff. And they, hey, what's up? I'm Frank. And we're just chatting, 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 chatting. And they're like doing all these off-color jokes, which are awesome. And they're doing all this like really like coarse language and this and that. And then they're like, hey, get to, hey, what do you do? And I'm like, wait for it, wait for it. And then they go, what do you do for work? And I go, oh, I pastor a church. And you know what they always do? They apologize for everything they just said, and then all of a sudden, they become lame. I'm just saying. No. But like, they'll, they'll drop the F-bomb. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't remember. I'm like, it don't hurt me none. But did you see what happened? Just the spirit of God inside of me, next to them, all of a sudden there's a conviction, right or wrong, that lays into their lives. And all of a sudden they're going, hmm. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I won't do that. Maybe I won't, okay? Now take that into the marriage. Just imagine the influence that a person, a believing spouse can have on another. However, do not assume you're just going to save your spouse. In fact, Paul addresses that in verse 16. Wife, do not think you know when you're gonna save your, what, I'll read it, I don't, I'm making it up here. Uh, verse 16. <laughs> He says, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband or not? And how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife or not? So this false idea, like, I'll just get with him. Um, he's a good guy. He's a little lost. But I know my influence on him will be so much better for him. We're going to go ahead and get married. And I know over time, God will 
changed his heart. And, and I, if I was marrying the couple, I would caution strongly against it at that point. I'm like, okay, here's what I know about men who want to get married. They lie a lot. She's like, preach. <laughs> this, this is why so many annulments and divorce decrees are, he was not the man I thought he was. <laughs> you, you don't, well, he kind of likes God. He kind of follows God. He's kind of going to church. I'll, I'll just, I'll marry him and we'll get him saved. I'm like, uh-uh, just walk away from that. That is the Lord's work. Now, again, Paul is saying, if you're already married and this is your situation, his, his mantra over these last few weeks has just been to say, stay where you're at. If you're, if you're married, stay married. If you're divorced, stay divorced. If you're single, stay single. If you're, just stay where you're at. Follow God in that, okay? He says, if the spouse is willing to stay with you, stay. But if they're antagonistic, if they don't want anything to do with you, then he says, you're released to go. And then he even argues, and, and you're free to divorce them and I would argue, to remarry. You're liberate. He goes, you, know, you are no longer bound in this, is what he would say. And yet, in, in the middle of all that, we have to somehow, um, we have to say, that we have to be, uh, <laughs> words, we have to be intellectually honest with what the Bible does say. It says that God desires for a husband and wife to stay together. He desires for them to work it out and be reconciled. I go back to the words of Jesus when he says, if a person commits adultery against another, then you have permission for divorce. But hear what Jesus did not say. He did not command divorce. You have permission to get a divorce if that happens in your life, but you are by no means bound to divorce that person. In fact, I would argue God desires all people to be reconciled. That would be his great plan. In fact, I'll go one step further. If there is a, um, maybe that's a situation even in this room right now. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. There's like, okay, so my husband, he did this to me and I just can't take it anymore. I'm just leaving him. I'm like, okay, I get it. You've already made your decision. That's fine. But what if, what if he didn't? He's a tool. I know. I know. I know. So are you. Like when, it's, when, when, it, when you look at it from God's perspective and all the adulterous things that you've done to him and his willingness to choose you and to call you and to invite you to love him and to know him. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you had no care for him or thought towards him, he came to you. What if in the middle of a broken marriage, God is crying reconciliation, preach the gospel in your lives and watch what happens in it. And it's not to say if you get divorced, you're sinning. And I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, what if? What if? I have a very good friend of mine. I won't mention his name, but he came to me one time and he said, um, he said, Fro, that's my nickname, by the way. You cannot call me that, just so you know. 
fro. It's uh, from high school. It's weird. Um, don't ask. He said, fro, my wife's having an affair. I said, what? He goes, it's an emotional one for sure. And I think they might have taken it, you know, second base or whatever. And um, I said, what are you going to do? He said, I don't know. Uh, fast forward a few months. He, he just, I think he was a believer and, and so was his wife and it just got crazy. So he, he just said this with a tenacity that I believe God gave him directly, okay? He refused to let his wife go. He refused. Not like locker in a room type thing, you know, just like, but, <laughs> but like whenever she said words like, I don't want you around. Do you, can you hear me? Me and the girls don't want you any longer. So go on. We're, we're over it. I've already found a new guy. And I'm moving on. And he said, uh-uh. He, he moved into his office in the house. And when old boy would come around to call on his wife, he was there. Uh, say it with me now. But stomping time. <laughs> but stomping time. And he refused to let go. And when she refused to talk to him and refused to uh, share her bed with him and refused all these things, he just remained and he prayed for her and considered her and, and just tried to love and serve her. Now, hear me. I believe God gave him that to do that. It was a gift from God to do that. But over the next two or three years, the relationship was reconciled. She, she realized the waywardness of her thinking was repentance. They restored their relationship. And I would argue uh, from the outside looking in that the relationship is in fact better now than it was even before this thing happened. I'm just saying, what if? Just what if? Now, I also close, I close with this because I'm way out of time and um, I want to leave, honestly. <laughs> I do, I really do. My, my wife and I, uh, we've been married 23 years. We're going to Nashville. I mean, literally, as soon as I step off the stage, we're gonna go to Nashville for four days and have fun. And I will not be thinking about any of you while I'm going. Uh, I mean, we say all this and it's fun. I hope you find the comedic stuff, at least a, a break in the tension. I've been criticized for being too funny. If you, if you could just see the faces that I see when I preach and how difficult it is for some of you to accept this and how hard it is. So I just break it with a little comment. It's fine. But listen, I, have to, I know this, that there are people in the room who this has affected them. Adultery is a thing that they've either experienced by getting done to them or they've, they've done it to someone else. Divorce is a thing. Marrying an unbeliever is a, a thing. All of this, I know all of that. And all I'm saying is let's just be careful that we not get too overly dogmatic with this stuff and we walk out of here feeling some way of shame and condemnation, guilt. I know this, the Lord in his great love for us, if he, like a, a good dad with his children, if he sees any of them just a little wayward, he will correct. And, and sometimes that stings, right? And if that's happening in this room, praise God for that. Praise the Lord, rejoice in that, okay? 
But if you just feel like your life is no longer worth anything because you've already been divorced or you've done this thing, it's unforgivable or unpardonable, I'm like, you don't understand Scripture. So I know what's, I know the heaviness in the room. I know it. But I also know that God has come to help us. He's come to liberate us from bad theology, bad church doctrine and teaching, and to lead us into life uh, in the full by the power of the Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen? So I'm just going to pray for us. And the band's going to come back and we're going to sing some songs. If you, if you have any, sing in you after this. So God, we just thank you for our time together. We ask that you would be with us now. Where two or three are gathered, the Bible says you are with us. So God, we ask, I mean, I know the Bible says you're already here, but it's like the, the uncle that comes every Christmas, nobody invited, and he's all of a sudden there. No, Lord, we want you here. Come. Come. And for all of us who feel wayward and feel like we've drifted and fallen off the path that you have called us to. God, we repent from that. And we just ask, God, that you would pull us back to where you are. Father, we need the compassion to forgive others who have wronged us like you have forgiven us. In fact, it's Jesus' strong words that says that if we do not forgive others, then God won't forgive us. I think what that points to, God, is that we haven't truly experienced the forgiveness of, of our own sins if we can't forgive the sins of other people. So God, move in our lives that we be compassionate and loving. Let us stand for righteousness and purity and all of those things. But may God, you be the one who leads us and guides us. May the culture around us not shape our theology or our life. May it be the scriptures and God's spirit alone. We just thank you for that. God, we surrender the rest of this time to you. We ask that you be a part of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together, we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, please go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves him.